1: that were sacrificed now there has been the lamb that's been sacrificed Jesus he doesn't need to be sacrificed again and nothing else needs to be sacrificed one sacrifice for all one sacrifice and now every time you take the bread and take the cup it's a memorial it's a remembrance of the sacrifice that he made he is the lamb and he died for the sins of the world and he shed his blood and he was beaten and he took the punishment that we deserve
0: In the Old Testament, under the Levitical priesthood, lambs were a common animal to sacrifice for the atonement of sin. But a young lamb could only atone for sin for so long. Animals had to be sacrificed every single day for the sins that people committed against God. And in today's message, Pastor Danny will remind you that Jesus is the perfect lamb. Once the spotless lamb of God was slain for all of humanity's sin, nothing more could ever top that sacrifice he made. And through him, you can be forgiven. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 with today's edition of The Living Word. To every nation
1: 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is where we begin. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, I don't know if you can appreciate or if you've ever thought about how the disciples would have received this word from the Lord This is the Passover meal they're celebrating, the Passover meal you read about in the book of Exodus, where for years and years and years, the Israelites once a year in celebrating Passover would choose a male lamb without defect, one year old. So in its prime, you would take this lamb and keep it closely to you for four days, and on the 14th of the month, you would slaughter the lamb. And after you slaughtered the lamb, you would personally apply the blood to your house. And uh, God was very specific about how to do it. You do it on the threshold, on the doorpost. And as you would do it, you would naturally, in applying the blood, you would naturally make a cross. The blood would naturally make a cross. And I don't think we'd have to go any further in the symbolism there and what picture is painted there. And now Jesus, after years and years and years and years of them celebrating the Passover and slaughtering the Passover lamb and applying the blood, uh, and they have a meal together. They all eat together and they eat lamb. And here now, here, in this Passover meal, he takes the bread and he takes the cup. And he says about the bread, this is my body. He takes the cup, this is my blood. Now, we know he's not talking literally his body and literally his blood. And we have churches that believe in a thing called transubstantiation that it actually becomes the body and blood of the Lord. I think it's one of the most ridiculous things I've heard of. Him, and yet we have churches that believe that this is a memorial and that's what he's instituting very spiritual memorial, but it's a memorial. And now every time uh, you partake of what we call communion, it is a remembrance of the sacrifice the Lord made. Now, here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have a full meal, and you don't have to have a full meal to celebrate what we call communion. And it anything far from a meal. You're going to get a little cracker, and sometimes it's fresh. Uh, so a lot of times I bite it, and it's stale. And you go, man, it's really stale. Can't we get fresh stuff? But it's still bread. It's bread. And it's not whether it's fresh or stale or how big it is or what kind it is. And that's not the significance. The significance is what it reminds us of. We could have honey nut Cheerios if, if that would do, but the idea is it's bread. He took the bread and he said, this is my body. He took the cup. Now, people argue, was it real wine? Was it not real wine? You know, what's the point of that? But here, you're going to get grape juice. Some of them in the New Testament drank real wine because 1 Corinthians goes on here. And some people came to the communion table and they got drunk. Well, you won't get drunk off what we offer you. Unless you brought some on your own, and I hope you did, not you're going to get in trouble. So the literal lambs that were sacrificed, now there has been the lamb that's been sacrificed, Jesus. He doesn't need to be sacrificed again, and nothing else needs to be sacrificed. One sacrifice for all. One sacrifice. And now every time you take the bread and take the cup, it's a memorial. It's a remembrance of the sacrifice that he made. He is the lamb. And he died for the sins of the world. And he shed his blood. And he was beaten, and he took the punishment that we deserved. By his stripes, we're healed. That's a spiritual thing. Yes, ultimately we're, ultimately, we're going to be healed physically, but it's talking about spiritual healing, it's the healing of the soul. Therefore, that's a big therefore in verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, the next verse, don't read it yet. The next verse tells us what it means to take it in an unworthy manner because Certainly, it doesn't mean that you've arrived in a sinless state and that you're worthy. None of us are there. So what does it mean to take it in an unworthy manner? Verse 28, a man, a woman, a person ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's a serious thing. If you just do it and say, is it a cracker? No, it's not just a cracker. It's a memorial, not just a little cup of juice. It's a memorial. And Psalm did it in an unworthy manner, and he says, that's why some of you, many of you, many of you among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That's physical death. That's pretty serious. Uh, The physical sickness there, weak, the weakness there, the sickness there, that's those who did not do it in a worthy manner. They didn't examine themselves. In other words, they came... They come to the, the meal and, and in this day in the Corinthian church, they had an actual full meal and they all come together and some people didn't examine themselves. They came with things that needed to be right with the Lord. They needed to repent. They needed to get right with the Lord. Some of them had alcohol issues because some of them got drunk at a communion meal and they come and they, they just keep kicking it back, you know, and they, and they had a good time, but it did nothing for them spiritually. Why? Because they didn't examine themselves. They didn't realize, you know, I got a problem here. I got some issues. And I need to get right with the Lord. And so some of you are weak and sick. And some that continued this kind of pattern, he says, some of you have fallen asleep. God said, You won't you won't heed my discipline, and so that's it. And he took their lives. I think I've seen that happen a few times over the years with our fellowship. And I won't go into the names and details of that, but I think I've seen people, I've seen believers that got out of the will of the Lord and he sought to discipline them in so many ways and they would not heed the discipline. And uh, all of a sudden it's a tragic accident or all of a sudden it's an illness that comes on suddenly and it's fatal. And that's, that's what happens. And you say, well, that's an awful thing to do. It's an awful, that's an, that's an unloving thing. No, it's absolutely the opposite. If you believe that, then you're, you may be the kind of parent that just lets your kids do whatever they want. Now, if you're that kind of parent, you're not a loving parent. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we're judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined. That's love. So that we will not be condemned with the world. It's a loving thing. One more scripture, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, the context comes right after chapter 11. That should be obvious, but what's chapter 11? It's It's a list of many named saints who have gone ahead of us and have already finished the race. This interesting one that stands out to me is Samson. Samson, and you could name others too that made some terrible mistakes. David is mentioned, certainly a great saint. He's with the Lord. But people like Samson, people like David, they made terrible mistakes and brought on things in their lives from the Lord that really shouldn't have happened, didn't have to happen. David and his adulterous affair with Bathsheba and the the plot, you know, afterwards and uh, having her husband Uriah the Hittite murdered. And, and then uh, and, and God said, now the sword will never depart from your house. And that's what happened. And it didn't have to happen except, he, you know, he, he got off track. Samson, over a period of 20 years, he gave in to the lust of his eyes. He gave in to his own pride. He gave in to the lust of the flesh. And uh, for years and years and years he did this. One of Samson's biggest problems was he was a loner. If you study his life, and I've studied his life carefully, I've taught on his life many times in men's conferences, and one of the things you mark about Samson's life is he was a loner, very independent, and that's when you get in real trouble. And one of the best things you can have is accountability. By the way, you want to be free from a hidden sin? Then let other brothers and sisters know that it's been hidden. And then meet with them on some kind of regular basis and, and, and let them know, I don't want this hidden anymore. As a matter of fact, I don't want it anymore. I don't want it in my life anymore. But see, some people, don't, they won't do that. Why? You want to have your cake and eat it too. You, don't, you really don't want to be free of the sin. If it's pornography, you don't want to be free of it if you're going to keep it hidden. But if you really want to be free of it, then tell some other brothers that love the Lord. And tell them you want to be free of it. And give them access to your computer. And have somebody that can be with you and know you're not going to go on that site anymore. You don't want to do that. Why? Because you don't want to be free of it. You don't want to be free. But if you want to be free, and you have these that have gone on before us, and, and yet some of them made terrible mistakes. Thank God David repented. Thank God Samson finally at the end of his life. And he was still a young man, but he, he, you know, if you know the story, he calls out to the Lord one last time and, and God empowers him one last time, but it took his life. In the temple of Dagon that they have making fun of him there, you know, all the Philistines have got him and he's captive to the enemy. He said, oh Lord, one more time. And he, he slew more in his death than he did in his life you really want to be used by the Lord, you really want the blessing of God, you really want the power of God in your life, then give up your life. Don't keep holding on. The writer, in light of Hebrews 11, these that have gone on before us, and some great men and women of the faith, some named, some not named. You know, the others that were tortured refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection, faced years in flogging. Still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two. I mean, some received miracles and some, the miracle was that they were given grace and mercy and strength to be faithful unto death. These were all commended for their faith. And then chapter 12 opens this way, therefore, therefore, in light of that backdrop, Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Then the rest of the chapter talks about discipline, discipline. Interesting. First Corinthians eleven talked about discipline, but that was a discipline that was a woodshed kind of a discipline. That's where you, you you're taking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. You're not recognizing the body and the blood of the Lord. Your life is not changed. You haven't really submitted, and so you, you're in a woodshed. And that's a discipline. That's a loving discipline, but it's a real discipline. And sometimes we don't even stop and think about it. Wait a minute, I haven't even considered that maybe the thing that I'm, the the thing that I need to get right with God that I haven't gotten right with God, and this physical issue I'm having, I haven't even made the connection there. Maybe I'd be healed if I get right with the Lord. Maybe this thing of I'm always weak, I just never seem to, you know, just I mean, I'm even missing days at work, and the, and and maybe you've never made the connection that. What I read in 1 Corinthians 11, maybe maybe it's the Lord, and it's the loving hand of the Lord saying, Don't you realize it's my hand on you? Trying to get you to wake up, smell the spiritual coffee, and repent, and get your life right, and get back on track. But as I thought about discipline, you know, I came up with biblically three reasons for discipline from the scriptures. One is because of our mistakes, and that's 1 Corinthians 11. And what a loving God, what a loving God that he doesn't let us get away with anything. And he goes on in Hebrews 12, and he says, hey, if you're not disciplined and everybody undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children. And if you can get away with it, then maybe you've never been born again. Well, if you can get away with it, you've never been born again. Because if you've been born again, you really have a relationship with Christ. (laughs) Guess what? You can't get away with it. You can't get away with it. You just can't get away with it. He's going to take you to the woodshed because he loves you. He loves us. He loves me. I'm not going to let you get away with it. Is there something in my life that I need to get right and maybe maybe the difficulties I'm having is actually the hand of the Lord disciplining me so that I might get right that I might repent. Last but not least, two things mentioned in the text in Hebrews, throw off everything that hinders. One translation is, and it's literally the word for weight, every weight, every weight. Now, some weights aren't sin and of themselves, but they become sin because they hold us back. You know, is it wrong to watch television? I don't think so. But if, if, if you watch too much television, then that becomes a sin. That's holding you back from being the disciplined person God wants us to be. Is eating food sin? Of course not. But is eating too much food? Eating too much food. And maybe there's a disciplinary issue you need to deal with in your life. You know, is sleeping sin? Oh, God forbid. These are crazy illustrations, aren't they? But of course not. But if you, if you can't discipline yourself to get up, get up early enough to spend time with the Lord, then there's a problem there, isn't there? There's a problem you have things like Jesus in the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter two, you've left your first love. You've left your first love. Then you have Laodicea. Laodicea. It's interesting, not one specific sin is mentioned, the church of Laodicea, not one specific sin. What's, what, is, what is the issue there? You're lukewarm. And what does he say? You need to repent. So if you're just lukewarm, then that becomes the issue. I'm not fully committed. It's not that I'm cold, not that I don't love God, not that I don't love Jesus, not that I'm out here doing something awful. No, no, I may be still going through all the religious stuff. I'm at church, you know, and I'm not really involved in any really clear habitual sin, but it's just that you're not on fire anymore. Your zeal is not there like it used to be. You're not really 100% for the Lord. That's why it's so wonderful, wonderful, wonderful that the Lord has instituted communion because it's a time where we pause and hopefully examine ourselves. What is it that what is it that I could do? What decision could I make? What's the weight that's holding me back? And the second thing, not just the weight, the thing, throw off everything that hinders, but the sin. And it's interesting the way it says it. Listen to this. The sin that so easily entangles. Did you catch that? If I understand that right, it's so easily entangles, that means it's gotten me before. It's maybe gotten me before and before and before and before. It's one, you know, that keeps coming up. It's one that it so easily gets me. And the one that might so easily get me might not be one that so easily gets you, and vice versa. I think there's one common, especially among men and and women too, but especially men, I think there's one, one of the biggest challenges for me, and I've said it before and I'll just say it again, sexual, sexual sin. And some of us this morning, you're in church service, you're in a church service, but you know what? You you know, I I don't know if it's the pornography, I don't know if it's the relationship, whatever it is, but, and there's no fellowship with the Lord as long as you're practicing that. There's no fullness of the Holy Spirit. There's no peace. There's no, you know. Really, you want to keep living that way? You really want to, is it worth hanging on to that? Come on. Is it really worth that? Especially since one day we're going to stand before the Lord. Can you imagine? Everyone, you're not going to stand there with your wife. You're not going to stand there with your mother. Not, Dad's not going to be there. You're not going to, could Pastor Danny come with me? No, nobody can come with us. You're going to stand there before the Lord. And we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's a sobering thought. I'll close with this. I I found out who coined the phrase. I I knew the phrase, but I looked it up and John Greenleaf Whittier. He was an American Quaker poet, late seventeen hundreds, early eighteen hundreds. Those guys it's like like somebody said, they don't talk like that anymore. The way they talked, the way they wrote, and it was there was a depth. Maybe, maybe they, because it was an advantage in those days you didn't have all the distractions of computers and TV and all that stuff, I, I, maybe that was an advantage. I'm sure it was. I had a lot more time to meditate and think. And, and these Christians, these especially the Quakers, you know, who were even more conservative than whatever was happening in that day. Some of them still today, you know, they're riding, riding around in buggies and pulled by horses. Really, doesn't sound too bad if you think about it. (laughs) But John Greenleaf Whittier, here's what he said. Of all sad words, of tongue or pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. Very simply, honest question, question to me as well as to you. uh, What is it? What is it you've had well intentions and every time it comes up, you say, you know, I know I need to do that. I know I need to make that decision. I know there's this thing that's been holding me back and I need to take another step, you know, and it's not necessarily sin, but it can become sin because it's weighing me down and it's holding me back from a full on commitment to Christ. You're going to let another week go by and not take the step. Could I encourage you? Could I beg you? Could I beg us? Today's the day. Today's the day. Make the decision. Make the commitment. What sin is it? And maybe it's got you before and before and before, and now it's got you again, again. It's the sin that so easily entangles. It just so easily gets you. This time, maybe not only confess it. This time, maybe not only repent. This time, maybe determine, maybe determine, I'm going to find one or two sisters, if you're a sister, and I'm going to confess it to them. I'm going to say, would you, would you meet with me or talk with me on some kind of a regular basis because I don't want this back in my life again. I want to be accountable to somebody. I want somebody in the body of Christ, and that's how the body of Christ becomes very practical. The body of Christ, his hands, and, and we do that one another thing. Where we encourage one another daily, encourage one another. If you want to be free, if you want to be free from it, one of the best ways to do it is to stop hiding it and find a couple of sisters, find a couple of brothers and say, you know what, I, I, I'm, I want to be done with this. I want to be done with it. I don't want to be entangled in it ever again. And I'm asking you to help me. And the Lord will use them to be his body to help us. I read in Ecclesiastes on one of these eight pages, wonderful verse, and I looked it up in the New Living Translation, and it goes like this, Ecclesiastes 4.12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken.
0: You've been listening to The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. People having idols might seem like an outdated idea, but the truth is people have all kinds of idols these days. It might not be a carved image or something that you literally bow down to, but what about your priorities? It could be sports or that TV show that you just can't miss or anything that takes your focus away from God and is put in a higher standing than Him. The book of Hebrews is great at highlighting how God should be in that top priority spot. And if anything else takes his place, then it's an idol. Do you see these areas in your life today? Well, we all have things that we need help to keep in check. And Hebrews provides a solid reminder of who God is and how nothing else can compare. We're so glad that you've taken the time to listen today. Here at The Living Word, we'd love for you to pray for this ministry. We always want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first, just like Hebrews focuses on. We need God's guidance. So would you pray that we'd always recognize His voice? Thanks so much for praying. If you'd like to connect with us in person, check out ccfstpete.church for our service times. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you'll join us again next time to hear another message from this study in the book of Hebrews right here on The Living Word.